0: This is episode 331, with me in the hot seat. My prior guest, Phil Batterson, interviews me about my coaching philosophy, sustainable training, and more. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and my singular goal is to help you improve your running by getting stronger, racing faster, preventing more injuries and achieving more of your goals. I'm a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine, formerly a 239 marathoner and creator of the Performance Training Journal, now available on Amazon. You can learn more about me and strength running at strengthrunning.com. And if you enjoy this show, please support our partners who are offering you some great deals on amazing products that are going to help you improve your performances and overall health. First is my favorite way to hydrate, Element. Element is a delicious, sugar-free, high-sodium electrolyte mix. Now, I love this stuff because I think it's perfect for endurance runners who might have a high sweat rate, who also might be drinking a lot of water, and because of that, they might be susceptible to imbalances. If you happen to have very salty sweat like I do, you'll want all 1,000 milligrams of sodium that's included in Element. Electrolytes play a key role in helping you avoid dehydration, dizziness, cramps, and tiredness, especially after long runs or harder workouts. And Element is used by the military, law enforcement, professional sports teams, and they're the official hydration partner of Team USA Weightlifting. Get your free sample pack with any purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning, and they'll let you try every flavor before you commit. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning for your free sample pack. Next is Prevenex, the only supplement company that I trust. And Prevenex has a big announcement. They've just released their new product, Muscle Health Plus. It's a combination of creatine, branched chain, and essential amino acids, as well as ingredients to aid protein synthesis and absorption. Use code Jason15 for 15% off your first order at Prevenex.com. If you're a master's runner, if you want to build some muscle, or if you're particularly injury-prone, Muscle Health Plus will help you hold onto your muscle and rebound faster from those hard workouts and long runs. See all the details at prevenex.com and be sure to use code Jason15 to save 15% off your purchase. All right, today we have a unique episode for you. Like most of my episodes, it's more of a conversation than an interview. And it's actually an episode taken from the Critical Oxygen podcast with physiologist Phil Batterson. And they had me as a guest. Phil was my guest on this show just last week. And we had a really great conversation about coaching and training, how to think more critically about exercise science why and how you should be strength training, VO2 max workouts, and a lot more. And now, without further delay, please enjoy this conversation with Phil Batterson.
1: Jason, welcome to the show. I'm
0: excited to be here, man. Thank you.
1: Yeah, so we, we, we had started the conversation and I paused us just to, uh, you know, kind of give everybody the, the, the backstory. So Jason Fitzgerald, awesome, 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 you know, social media sort of stuff, strength running, all things. And he was asking me, cause I was telling him that I, I live butted up to about, I don't, I don't even know how many thousands of acres of, of national forest land, but he was like, oh, you're probably running a hundred miles a week. And I was like, you know, unfortunately I'm not because I have a torn labrum in my hip and I just have to be really careful with, with the amount of, uh, you know, pounding that I actually do. But I do two, two days a week of, um, of running and it's, it's, it's mostly cause we live right on the, a Canyon that then goes down to a river. So I, I run up and down the Canyon. So I get, I get 400 feet of gain within a mile, you know, coming, coming up. So That's
0: legit right there.
1: Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to be training for, you know, like road running and stuff like that. If anything, I'm going to be, you know, training for like mountain running. Like that would be, that would be my thing.
0: Well, with where you live, you probably have uh, a good training venue for an aspiring mountain runner with that kind of elevation gain, all mm-hmm. that kind of trails and off road surfaces. You're on your way.
1: Yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's so much fun. And back, do you ever, have you ever run the, the incline down in Colorado Springs? Yeah. The Manitou incline. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I've uh, I've broken thirty minutes
0: twice, which is my, nice. my Colorado Springs claim to fame.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so when I was doing my masters down in Colorado Springs in I was like twenty seventeen to twenty nineteen, that's like that was my Saturday hangout spot, and I I eventually got to the point where I'd wear a a ruck pack that was like between forty and sixty pounds depending on the day, and I would try to do it the the, the incline plus um whatever the the trail is that goes down as many the bar times as trail. possible. I think it Yeah, the bar be. trail. So I I I did, I think I did that three or four times in the day, one time. <laughs> oh my um, God. And
0: I mean, that's that's a solid, you know
1: the 12, 15 miles total with an extraordinary yeah. amount of gain. Yeah. So 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 my PR on the incline was like, I think 24, like I, I like really good, man. I I take, I tapered for it. I, you know, I did, I did everything I think. Right. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to crush it. And then I was talking to somebody on Instagram and he was just like, Oh yeah. Have you ever seen this? Uh, I I can't remember the guy's name It's like Remy, Remy something, but one of, one of the best mountain runners in the world who actually has the record on the incline. Do you know what the record is? It's like 16, 17, 18 minutes, somewhere in that frame. 17 bananas. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I thought I crushed it by doing 24. And you know, that, that is, that is pretty fast. Like I, you're, I think the second person I've ever met who actually has gone under 30. And that's just because I don't have a very, you know, wide, wide circle of, of runner friends and stuff. But, um, everyone else was like, oh my gosh, I'm lucky to, you know, get up in 45 minutes to an hour. The key is to simply not stop moving. Like if you just keep going up
0: at a consistent clip, you'll probably get there in about 30 to 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think any faster than 30 minutes. And it's like, you kind of have to either be speed walking or or running part of it. I'm really only able to run like five or 10% of the incline. And then I'm basically hiking up it, but it's, it's really hard. And I probably would have gotten an extra 30 seconds if I didn't like stop to take a picture. And, you know, I wasn't really going a hundred percent for time. Like mm-hmm. it sounded like you're tapering and, yeah. and really treating this like a, <laughs> yeah. a regional track, you know,
1: championship or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was one of those things where I was just like, I I'm gonna, because, because I had, I had had success in the past, you know, like going under, going under 30. And I was like, okay, you know, that feels pretty good. It's pretty, you know, pretty fun. And then I was like, okay, but I, I really want to see, cause I was, I was really fit at the end of my master's degree, just because I had been doing tons of lifting. And then I was doing some cycling stuff and I had access to like a physiology lab, like within my master's that like my, my master's advisor, we, nobody else was using it. So he's like, yeah, if you want to do testing on yourself, just make sure you clean up afterwards. And that's all you got to do. So it it was just a really cool environment to be able to you know, experiment with that sort of stuff. See, see what, what the limits of my body were. And at the time too, I was like, oh, like, you know, on a whim one day, I was like, I'm just going to hike to the top of Pike's peak. You know, we're just going to do bar trail and we're just going to see how it goes. Um, That was kind of a catastrophic failure. Not quite. I got to the top and then I was like, I'm, I'm so spent. There's no way I'm going back down. Um, So I actually had to hitchhike back down. (laughs) <laughs> um, but luckily I found, I found a group of people who, you know, were about my age at the time. And I was just like, look, guys, like, I, I hiked up to the top. It was a little bit too much for me to handle. Could you guys give me a ride back to Colorado Springs? <laughs> and oh, they did. No. Oh <laughs> man, you are writing checks. Your body can't catch. I know. I know. So, so I, I think, I think that, you know, it's like that, that all leads into, you know, you have been somebody that I've followed for a really, really long time. And that's actually, I think how we, we started talking was, Um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to, to be able to get onto your podcast, but I told you that one of the things that I watched was like your, um, you know, hip and, you know, kind of like prehab, you know, sort of like, like workout video that you posted. I don't even know, maybe like 10 years ago or something at this point. And I was like, yeah, I was following that. And that's actually like, I was able to stay pretty healthy for a long time. So if you don't mind giving the listeners just a little bit of background of, you know, like who you are what your, uh, you know, true profession is. He's a running coach, but it's a little bit, it's more than that. And then what your philosophy with training is, that would be awesome.
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I've, I've been a runner myself for pretty much as long as I can remember. I was one of those kids that went out for the cross country team as a freshman in high school, showed up in basketball shoes and long mesh shorts. I thought cross country was like track. So I actually intended to be high jumping. And then mm-hmm. I very quickly realized that oh no, it's just all running and cross country, and uh, I was unable to finish a 2.9 mile run my first day at practice. And I remember that very short, easy run made me feel like I had been run over by a truck for like a week. <laughs> and for some weird reason, I think it was because you know the, the coach was funny, the, the guys on the team were really funny. I stuck with the sport and. I think like a lot of runners, I just got obsessed with improvement. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was a basketball player before I started running and there's just a lot of subjective things that go on in team sports, you know, Oh, we lost the game because my teammate didn't pass me the ball or my coach didn't put in our best player or all these things that are outside of your control. And what I loved about running was that most things are in your control. You Mm -hmm. choose how much you train, uh, how well you execute that training. So I pretty quickly into my first season of cross country, just fell in love with the sport and ran cross country, indoor track, outdoor track all four years of my high school career. Then I went and ran at Connecticut college and, and did the same thing. It was just totally obsessed with getting faster and, you know, getting involved in, in the track community at Connecticut college. And, you know, when I graduated, most of my running friends sort of stopped running and they started pursuing their careers and things like that but I just couldn't stop training and mm-hmm. really got into some other races that I hadn't run before you know I started running triathlons duathlons uh some longer cross country races and then some of those longer road races like a lot of us get into like the half marathon and the marathon and After my first marathon, it was really like an important hinge point in my running career because I got hurt in my comeback to running after the 2008 New York City Marathon. You know, it had gone okay for me. Uh, I think I ran 244, uh, but I was hoping to run a lot faster and you know, as there's a lot of college, you know, track guys, I was like, oh, a six minute pace is so slow. I'm going to be negative splitting, you know, this marathon and running 530 pace through Central Park to finish up the New York City course. And that didn't happen at all. There were senior citizens blowing by me in the race. And it was a very humbling experience. Yeah. And I think it's important to have a humbling experience at a marathon every once in a while. Mm -hmm. It brings you back to earth a little bit. And it was at that point when I was, I got injured. I had this IT band syndrome injury that just wouldn't quit. And I didn't run for six months. I saw four physical therapists. I spent most of the time just sitting on the couch, watching reruns of house and eating sleeves of Oreos. It was a very depressing time for me, but I realized if I wanted to continue to do what I loved, I really needed to get my training right, figure out this chronic cycle of injuries that had been plaguing me for years because mm-hmm. I was very inconsistent. I just kept getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And it was at that moment that I you know, learned from all these PTs that I was seeing. I started being a, a much better student of the sport. And that's when I just sort of got into reading every single running book that I could get my hands on. And strength running was really born out of that time period where mm-hmm. I started getting a lot more consistent with strength training. I started being more strategic with my own running because i was like look i'm getting hurt all the time i think there's something wrong with my training let's make some modifications so that i'm really prioritizing injury resilience and i started running really well you know i was able to run more miles per week i ended up running a new marathon pr and it really opened my eyes to the fact that we don't have to just keep banging our head against the wall and and getting these poor results and these chronic injuries so strength running was really born out of my own frustrations mm-hmm. with my failings in the sport. And my entire goal right now is to get runners to think more strategically about their training, to avoid some of these big common mistakes, to get strong, to focus on best practices. Let's not chase any fads or shiny red balls that, mm-hmm. you know, are, are, are really exciting. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think my training philosophy is, is really a big focus on the fundamentals Mm -hmm. on hard work on consistency and on not taking any shortcuts. You know, I think we're, we're in a very fortunate time period right now where I think we pretty much know how to train distance runners. I I don't really think we are going to have any dramatic breakthroughs in training science in the next 20 years, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you go back to the fifties, the era of Roger Bannister, everyone was doing extremely low mileage, very high intensity. Mm -hmm. Well, we learned that that isn't quite as comprehensive as we thought. And then there was the era of the seventies and eighties and, you know, um, you know, marathon Billy was winning the Boston marathon and, and that was an area of very high mileage, Mm -hmm. but relatively low intensity. And, You know, that we sort of flailed around a little bit in the 90s. And now there's been a pretty good resurgence of American distance running, especially on the women's side. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we kind of know how to train runners. And so my training philosophy is pretty much the fundamentals and best practices with an emphasis on building the aerobic metabolism, with an emphasis on getting strong and staying healthy so that we can run consistently.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I I love that. I I tell, I was telling my fiance this morning is like my framework for developing any endurance athlete is consistency, specificity, and progression. I love you know, it. and and it's I think it's especially hard to keep that consistency in running because you know what was the stat like you know seventy two percent of runners or something along those lines will get injured per year or like you know something crazy along those lines. Um, and it it, and so that's why I only run two two days a week because I actually am able to progress in my in my running and my hill running by doing a lot of cycling work because that's hardly any eccentric loading. And then I go and I just like, I, I also have fun just running up and down hills. like it's it's one of those things where it's like it's kind of punishing, but it's also like pretty freeing to be able to run as fast as you can up and down the hills. Like yesterday, I was like, I was running right next to the river. And then, you know, like the, the Canyon 500 feet up is like right on this side. And it's just like, you know, it's one of those things where you just, you just don't get that, um, with cycling indoors. So I was just like, you know, from a, from a flow state, it was just, you know, I I was feeling it. It was awesome. But, but yeah, I had to really take a step back and be like, okay, well, what's going to keep me consistent in terms of running. And it really has been reducing to, you know, right now, two days a week. Um, but it's, it's tough.
0: You know, that reminds me of of something that um, I've been thinking a lot about in my coaching practice, which is, you know, the the risk of injury as it relates to your training intensity, you know, there's an exponential injury risk increase when you start running a lot faster. So mm-hmm. speed is a huge driver of running injuries. And so one of the things that I've changed in my own training is I don't run the brutally hard workouts that i used to run and mm-hmm. i'm much i'm much more air on the side of more aerobic base training and mm-hmm. it's funny that you mentioned uh your bike because i just got a um a wahoo kicker core indoor trainer heck yeah And i'm going to be setting up my road bike on the trainer especially now in the winter time, it's just a, usually a little bit more difficult to get in as much running as I normally do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not getting into the, the beautiful front range here in Colorado like I normally do and have all those, uh, those amazing trails for me to run on. Can't do that in the winter. So I'm planning on just adding hours and hours of indoor cycling to my training just to build that aerobic metabolism, just to layer on hours of zone two work mm-hmm. so that when I do go running, I can maybe focus a little bit more on quality And that's just one way that I've subtly changed how I approach training to prioritize injury resilience while at the same time focusing on what actually is going to make you a better runner, which is not all these brutally hard workouts, but it's volume and consistency over time. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that, that we do see is, and I I've been doing a deep dive into like the literature of, of, you know, like what is really the most effective, um, way to approach training. And you, you touched on this right in, in the Roger Bannister era, they were just doing, you know, interval training all the time. So that's just like, you know, if you think about it, high intensity training. So they were just doing high intensity training. And then you had this, this shift, right? The pendulum shift to massive amounts of volume. And now we're, we're kind of, I think, riding the ship and getting right, like kind of more into the middle of it. And it's like, you know, it, it makes sense with, with almost anything you, you have to have, we have to have high intensity, you have to have low intensity, but the big key is is that that low intensity has to be low enough in order for you to absorb the the mileage that you're doing and not induce more fatigue than it's actually worth because I think that's where people do, especially in running, this is where people do their easy days too hard and then it just gets to a point where you, know, you have those overuse injuries and, and other things like that because you're not allowing that easy work to actually allow you to accumulate volume, allow you to stave off fatigue and recover, you're just digging yourself into a deeper and deeper hole. And I think you did you post recently, you know, like kind of like how much uh, you know, fatigue to adaptation you get per per different uh intensity that you're that you're doing.
0: Yeah, there was a it was a quick and easy graphic on uh relative recovery from different effort zones. So mm-hmm. zone one, you're going to be fully recovered the next day. Zone two, you're also going to be recovered by the next day. Mm-hmm. But things start getting more and more extended if you get into zone three, zone four, zone five. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I think the current focus on zone two is a good focus because I think it's slowing enough runners down so that they can do more volume while reducing their injury risk. And then also create an environment in which they're actually absorbing all of the adaptations that, that they should be absorbing from all that volume. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also like it just allows you to actually do a hard workout where if you're running in zone three, five days a week and then you go to run a track workout, it's going to be just really challenging. Your legs are going to be, you know, heavy fatigued uh, a little bit lethargic. So I think there's a lot of reasons to, to slow running down and, you know, thinking back to my college track days where, you know, we tried to run every single distance run at seven minute mile pace, Mm -hmm. no matter if it was the day after a really hard workout or a long run the day after a race and us going to a party the night before where maybe we had one or more Bud Lights, Mm -hmm. Uh, Phil, we probably didn't have more than two in college.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, never more than two.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you know, when when you're in those situations, You've got to just be realistic about what your physiology can can handle. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the big mistakes that we made was like, look, you know, we've got a chip on our shoulder. We're these college track runners. We are good. We can run seven-minute pace. Mm-hmm. This is not hard for us. Our race paces are substantially faster than this. But we weren't really taking a, a physiological
1: approach to our mm-hmm.
0: training on easy runs. We were taking a you know,
1: boneheaded college bro, the the ego, the, the ego approach. Right. And that's, I, I, so I was fortunate enough. I think I talked, talked to this on, on your podcast, but I was fortunate enough to actually be able to go back and run at the junior college level when I was like 24 or something like that. And I think that really helped me not get caught into, um, you know, some of that ego training, like, like we're talking about, because, what I noticed is that like the the best guys on the team, yet there are some guys right who are you know those those like anomalies, those genetic freaks who you know like they could do their training at seven minute miles and still crush everybody. But there the the guys that were the most effective were actually normally the ones that would run like recovery runs the slowest, and you know they would like it it would be like laughably slow, like they'd be just be shuffling, and then but they were always able to get up for. The races get up for the, you know, like the interval works that way we would do. And there is something to be said about almost, you know, like the zone two is good, but I think, I think what people still overlook is the fact that you're just accumulating so much damage, especially if you're running on pavement, that it might even be better to just like reduce it even more. Um, do you ever have, Like if you, if an athlete came to you, have you ever recommended them to just like do walk runs? If like, for example, I have people come to me all the time. They're like, yeah, my zone two is, is 170 beats per minute. I'm like, no, it's not like, it's definitely not. So let's actually figure it out. And then they're like, well, I can't maintain 130, 135 beats per minute by running. What do I do? So, so what, how would you respond to somebody in that sort of situation?
0: In, in that situation i think a, a a walking protocol is is a good one because we obviously can't be running at a heart rate of 170 beats per minute every day that is you know for most people that's a, a zone 4 zone 5 effort mm-hmm. and that's going to lead you to get hurt or overtrained or simply burned out psychologically from your training that you just don't really have the drive to continue moving forward with it so You know, I I started coaching a a runner a long time ago who was only a couple months into her running journey. She had just started. She had never done sports before. She was sedentary and a daily smoker. And the funny thing was she had a lot of talent. It's almost Mm -hmm. just like she started running. It's like, oh, actually, you're a talented athlete. You've just never done any athletics before. Mm -hmm. But we need to sort of wake up your aerobic system Uh, You haven't really done any exercise for decades. You've been smoking every day for decades. And what I found was on the one hand, yes, you need to take some walk breaks. We need to get that heart rate down a little bit. But on the other hand, there are some runners who simply need a lot of exposure to exercise. And then their heart rate sort of just levels out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think this is often called aerobic deficiency syndrome where With very little aerobic development, you know your aerobic system doesn't really know how to be in a zone one, zone two Mm. effort level. You're just constantly getting into that high zone four, zone five effort. This can be pretty common in a lot of um, power or team sport athletes who don't really do much aerobic exercise, but they're doing a lot of high intensity work. They might be doing a lot of power and strength work, so the anaerobic system is is very highly developed but their aerobic system is not and so the the key is just a lot of aerobic exercise mm-hmm. and so you know for this particular runner i i tolerated heart rate zones for her that were higher than i normally would have liked mm-hmm. but i realized at the time like look we just we we need to sort of get you consistent for 2 months and if i was really adamant about keeping your heart rate under 140 beats per minute you'd literally never be running so there's a little bit of a balance here like of course you can't be running in zone three all the time and of course you need to be doing some running so we've got to split the difference often Mm -hmm. but for the most part try to stay in the right zones even like you were saying low zone two or maybe even high zone one uh I, i just did a really uh, fun podcast with matt daniels he's an ultra marathoner but you know previously he was a 359 miler so wow. he certainly has some has some speed yeah and he loves zone one running he's like mm-hmm. oh yeah i'm running like 11 minute mile pace and i'm like wow for a 359 miler that is an absolute shuffle but mm-hmm he realizes and recognizes the compounding benefit of all that low intensity training that, you know, even for someone who's that talented, if he's doing it, well, that should tell all of us, you know, mere mortals that there is still benefit in doing it. And we should try to be as consistent as possible with it.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's something that on this podcast has kind of been, you know, an uphill battle because, within the research community, right, we're always looking for what is the optimal way to improve X, right? Like, you know, whether that's VO2 max training, whether that's, you know, what sort of training intensity distribution should we have, you know, all of these different sort of things. And I think sometimes those ideas get a little bit, uh, there's too much importance, say, you know, like on a specific threshold or on a specific adaptation that we're trying to target. And, you know, for example, you'll hear people talking, well, you have to exercise right at that borderline of zone two where your lactate is, you know, this millimole or whatever it is. Because if you don't, then you're not going to maximize the benefits to your mitochondria, your mitochondrial function, right? You know, and while that's probably true, especially in running. And I'll keep saying this as running is a different beast than, you know, something like, like rowing, or I mean, we'll say cycling or cross country skiing or other things like that, which are primarily concentric contractions. Running is a combination of both. So you're, you're going to be getting a lot of damage. If you're running at your zone two versus running, you know, like zone one, like the ultra marathoner that you're talking about, like, you're going to be getting the majority of those adaptations. And you know yes, while you're you might be leaving a few adaptations on the table, I can almost guarantee you that that person who runs slower compared to the person who runs faster is probably going to have more consistency and more longevity in the sport. And that's really what we see is is people who are consistent um, Paula Radcliffe was getting better her entire career, right? And, you know, her VO two max was going down, but her efficiency was going up. So it's, it's that consistency over time. That's really going to result in, you know, you actually realizing your full potential. And I, I it's almost, yes, there are limitations when you do get, you know, start to get really like a lot older and other things like that. But I think for most of us, we don't truly realize our full potential because we are unable to stay, say consistent for years and years and years. And that's why Elliot Kipchoge has been so good and so consistent or or is because he's been so consistent. So that's kind of my philosophy on it.
0: Yeah, I I think it's a really good one because, uh, you know, this, this very much reminds me of blending the art and science of running into Mm -hmm. one approach where, you know, and, and forgive me, I'll, I'll, Poke the uh, the researchers a little bit, and all the the physiologists that's, that's on, a, totally on a physiologist fine. podcast. My God, I am <laughs> bold. But you you can't just be a scientist as a coach because mm-hmm. you're you're going to fall into that trap of saying, "Well, we're not maximizing the mitochondrial adaptations." Well, for your average forty five year old recreational runner. The goal isn't to maximize mitochondrial adaptations. We are so much getting lost in the weeds here. Mm -hmm. This person is probably only running 30 miles a week and is inconsistent. So Mm -hmm. we need to really go after the low-hanging fruit first and, and think a little bit more holistically of, well, maybe this person, it's okay if they're not maximizing mitochondrial efficiency because we are maximizing longevity. We are maximizing consistency in the sport. And and I might say those are more important, especially for pretty much any runner is, is that consistency in the sport? You know, I don't Mm -hmm. think there are any magic workouts or secrets to success in the sport of running. (coughs) But with that said, if there is a secret, it's consistency. That's the Mm -hmm. secret sauce because you're, even if you have the perfect training program, if you can only do it for a month or two at a time before you have to take time (laughs) off, because you're hurt or you're overtrained or you're just psychologically burned out from your training or it just requires you to be on every single day that you know you're just like enough of this I just can't do it anymore mm-hmm. well you're never going to be consistent so you know I like to say I'd rather you be 10% undertrained and you know quote unquote under optimized mm-hmm. but healthy and excited about the sport mm-hmm. standing on the starting line
1: yeah no, I, I 100% agree. And I think, again, that's where that is where the the translation from the science to like truly coaching is is really important because when we look at the research, you know, it, it's, it's, oh, well, what's the optimal way to improve VO2 max? Well, we took individuals through two to three training set, you know, VO2 max workouts every single week for six weeks and their VO2 max improved, you know, 8%, whatever we want to call it. But if you, kept, if you try to keep somebody on a, a, a training program like that, good luck, your adherence would be essentially zero, you know, you'd have people getting injured, especially if it's running, um, you'd have people not wanting to do it, or they would start to, uh, you know, just refuse to actually do it. When I I, I did a, a high intensity interval training study when I was doing my PhD, and you'd be surprised, I don't think you'd be surprised, but I took sedentary individuals through seven high intensity interval training sessions. So what we would do is we would do one minute on one minute off. And the one minute was like really hard. And then it was like, you know, as much rest as you needed. And we'd repeat that every other day for 14 days. And just within that towards the end, like you could like seven sessions, people were still being like, I don't know, like, and this is only a 30 minute workout too. So this is like, this is like short periods of time. And it's not something that's really ever talked about is, you know, it's like that, that is maybe optimal for improving VO2 max, but it is not optimal for long-term enjoyment and, and and other things. And I I saw something the other day that was, maybe it was, you know, Huberman lab, um, you know, podcast episode where they're talking about how, there was this study that was done, it was done in mice, mice or rats, and they would they would give one group of animals the ability to freely train and run whenever they wanted. And, and mice and rats love to run. Um, so they could do it whenever they wanted. But then the other group, when, when one mouse was running or one rat was running, were forced to run during the time. And the ones that chose to run or chose to exercise, had, you know, like they had, you know, benefits in their metabolic, uh, you know, uh, metabolic sort of uh, markers, their physiological markers. And, you know, it's like, you can't ask a rat if they feel better or something like that. But the other group didn't have any benefits really to the exercise because they were being forced. So it's one of those things where it's like, just the choice or just the importance of like, I want to be here doing this workout today you know, might actually be one of the reasons why you would improve or not improve based on whatever the training is. So you have to, you have to, as a coach, make things enjoyable for the athlete as well, or else they're not going to adhere to it. So yeah, it's this, it's this, it's this balance. And this is what I love about talking to, you know, coaches like yourself is, is you recognize that, you know, yeah, like the science does say one thing, but how are we? How can we actually translate that into helping our athletes stay consistent, um, want to do something like this? And I, I joke around as like, you know, if if somebody came out with a study that was like, oh, the single best thing you could do for health and longevity would be to swim at five a.m. in a dark pool at sixty degrees every single morning for thirty to sixty minutes, I would. not I would probably have negative, that would not be optimal for me because I hate swimming in pools. And, you know, and, you know, so, so those outcomes wouldn't actually be optimal for me. It would be optimal for whoever the study was done on. But for me personally, I don't like swimming. It, it, you know, it wouldn't be optimal for me. So that's like, we, we do talk about, you know, like reading articles and then making sure that they translate to who you are and that you respond appropriately to them. And that's, it's the, uh, is this idea of like, you know, taking the science for what it is and, and truly reading it at a deeper level.
0: Not to mention the fact that, you know, this this VO2 max study to me is is kind of funny because on the one hand, VO2 max isn't as tightly correlated with your actual race performance as <laughs> we would like to think it is. You know, everyone's yes. like, oh, I want to improve my VO2 max. And I'm like, Why? I want to improve my race performance mm-hmm. and that is a very critical distinction. Mm-hmm. One is just a physiological marker that I don't know, you really only know about if you get into a lab and have it tested. The other is the the thing the entire sport revolves around, which is your finish time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when when I see studies like that, I'm like, okay, that's like kind of cool, but on the one hand, my goal as a coach isn't just to improve your VO2 max, right? And two VO two max workouts a week for eight weeks seems to me like a, just a a training schedule that is much too difficult for most runners. Mm -hmm. You know, when I look back at maybe, you know, my, my college track program and and what I was running in track, maybe for the last eight weeks of a track season, we're running two VO two max workouts a week. But at the same time, we are Twenty-year-old college athletes who are somewhat competitive mm-hmm. and and can handle all that. You know, we're 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 not forty, forty-five, fifty years old. Uh, we don't have jobs. You know, we are drunk on testosterone, which Mm -hmm. is the place to be if you're training really hard. Mm -hmm. And so you've really got to take some of these things into consideration when you're designing training, because if you're a new coach and you see this study and you're like, oh man, this is great. Let me implement this in my training today. And it's like, well, hold on a second, hold on. You got to take everything with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm one of these coaches that like believes in everything and nothing at the same time. <laughs> I am the ultimate, it depends guy mm-hmm. because I, I think VO2 max is important, but I also don't really think it's too important. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's, it's, is it in the proper context? Is it important for what we're actually training to achieve? And is it important for you as an individual? Because sometimes You know, you're, it's just not something we should focus on at this Mm -hmm. stage of your running career. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, on the one hand, I love studies, but on the other hand, I'm like, you know, let's, let's really, you know, take this with a big grain of salt.
1: Mm -hmm. And and that's the challenging thing because on social media, right. You know, like I want to help people get better. I want to help like my, my whole tagline is, you know, help people optimize their physiology to maximize their endurance potential. But the, the challenge is, is that requires you almost to have these like clickbaity titles or these, you know, like, 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 uh, larger than life, uh, you know, explanations or, or whatever it is. And you, you said it like a, like a true academic, like you, you're closer related to the researchers than I think you, than I think you know, is when you meet somebody who truly is like a good scientist, if you ask them a question they'll be like, well, it depends and the the number one way of detecting if someone's kind of bullshitting you or not is if they're if they know all the answers right away or if they say, okay well it depends let's get more of the context behind all of this and this is something I talk uh, to another coach who comes on the podcast regularly Aaron geyser he's he said he said yeah we it's context first and then content sec- second. So you have to figure out who the athlete is that is sitting in front of you and what they, re- what they wanna do with their race, how stressed they are on a daily basis, what they have going on in their family life, all this sort of stuff. Because once you understand the context, then you can start to shape the content in the training plan that you're actually giving to somebody. And it, that, that has been something that is just like, you know, kind of light bulb moment you know, w- went off for me when he started to explain that, and you know, you're you're explaining the exact same thing. It's like, and I think it, the the then the challenge becomes is like, okay, well, uh, you know, is VO2 max really important? Because if you if you're running uh, an ultra marathon, most likely VO2 max is not very important for your performance, right? You know, you're not going to be exercising at VO2 max, but if you've never done VO2 max work before. Then maybe VO2 max might be good for you because you stand to to make a lot of improvements there. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that because during my master's degree, my master's degree was based on predictors of endurance performance, and the the three that have been postulated to be like the best predictors of performance are VO2 max, you, where your second threshold is occurring, and then your economy and your fi- or your economy or efficiency. Putting those together is is should get a pretty good idea of what your performance is. So I did a whole study that was like we measured, you know, all of those variables and then we correlated those with uh with cycling endurance performance. It was a, a 40 kilometer time trial on a bike. And indeed when you put them all together, it's those are all highly or you know, together those are highly predictive of, of performance. But alone, they're not very predictive of performance, especially when you have groups of Individuals who are very similar to each other in terms of like VO2 max.
0: I, I think, Phil, having you say I talk about running like a scientist, hearing that from a physiologist might be one of the best compliments that <laughs> I have ever gotten. So thank you very much. Yeah. I, I think that comes from almost a different perspective. I, I almost think a little bit like a lawyer. Okay. Like I just want everything I say to be defensible because mm-hmm. I, I think starting this entire job of what I do, all of my work on the internet, I realize my work is all public. And because of that, it is widely open to criticism. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that everything I say is as accurate as I can make it. And I I have reasons for saying what I say. And so Mm -hmm. I I don't, I want to be as clear as possible. And so I'm almost thinking that every piece of communication I put out on the internet is like a contract. I want the language to be a little dialed in and, and I'm very aware of the fact that most things exist on a spectrum and to have a binary way of thinking is usually a dead end way of thinking, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to exercise science. So thanks very much for that compliment. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I would love to ask you like, if we're going to talk about the things that we should be doing in training to make us better runners after mm-hmm. we've said VO2 max is kind of not important, but it is. And, you know, we're being a little wishy-washy on everything. What's actually important? Like, what should we focus on in our training? Like, what are the actionable,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, workouts, principles, um, you know, big ideas that are important for endurance runners?
1: Yeah. i I'll, I mean, my, my first thing is like, you gotta say it depends, but, um, <laughs> but I think, on I, brand. I, yes, I think the, I think, I, I think let's start with principles. And this is like, this is again, where I, where I always start at first is the consistency aspect of things. If you really, almost no matter what you want to get good at, you have to be consistent. If you're going to get good at something, if you're doing something once every two weeks, you're you're not going to ingrain those habits and the the adaptations that are necessary to actually get good at whatever it is you're doing. So from, from that perspective, if you want to become a good runner, you have to consistently be doing something that is going to make you better as a runner. That doesn't mean you have to run every day. But then the, the second principle is specificity. The more specificity you get in a certain task, the better off you're going to be as well. So the individuals, generally speaking, and there's there's exceptions to all rules, but generally speaking, the individuals who run more are generally the individuals who are better off or better runners. The challenge, again, with, with running is that you, it, it's again, it's really damaging. So you really have to be careful with the amount of running you're truly doing. So this is where the cross training stuff comes in, right? Where like the cycling I, what's crazy about cycling is that I can go and do like, like low to mid to high zone two, and maybe even into that zone three and then bounce back from it the next day and do a really hard VO two max workout. And then bounce back from that the next day and do another like moderately challenging long zone two workout. I wouldn't be able to do that in running. It would have to be like zone one, really easy. Maybe a threshold workout and then another really, really easy zone zone one sort of workout. But the thing is, is that if you're if you use cycling as cross-training, then you can start to say, okay, well, maybe because my body can't handle that high intensity stuff right now in terms of running, maybe I'll do a lot of easy running, you know, to gain volume and in, in those sort of things, but then I'll do some higher intensity stuff on, on, you know, different days when I want to get that higher intensity stimulus. So that's another, so that might be a principle. I'm not hundred percent sure if I want to add it to the principles yet, but I think that you need to do easy stuff and you need to do hard stuff. I think, I think that is a, 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 just a principle of life. Um, but from a, from a, an endurance perspective, and this doesn't, I'm not, I'm not saying go out and do polarized training. I'm just saying you need to do easy stuff and you need to do hard stuff we've, we've just talked about this. If you're only doing hard stuff, you're not going to optimize your uh, potential. If you're only doing easy stuff, you're still going to leave, you know, performance on the table. So you have to do easy stuff and hard stuff. That's three, I guess that's kind of in the, into the specificity sort of side of things. So that's, that's two a, um, and then along with the specificity, if you're racing, for example, a marathon, you should in the beginning of, you know, say a train, like your, your training year, you can be very general about like what you're doing. You could be doing more cycling, a little bit less running, just a general aerobic development. But as you get closer to whatever race, it has to become more and more specific to that race. So I've made the mistake in the past. And this is when, you know, I was a, a researcher looking at the, at the studies and being like, Oh, high intensity interval stuff seems to be pretty good for performance. I was doing um, some trail races, like 18, like 10 to 20 mile trail races, but I would only do high intensity sprint work on the treadmill really. And then I'd go and I do like the incline, you know, as my like long workout. And I think I had six consecutive races where I had to stop because I cramped up so bad during the races. And it wasn't because I was not hydrated enough or, or other things like that. It's because I was asking my body to do something that it was not familiar enough with. So then it started cramping as a protective mechanism for me not to get injured. I was so strong, you know, during those sort of uh, things, but I was only doing, you know, the, the the treadmill work. So from a specificity standpoint, I wasn't doing what I should have been doing, which is more of that threshold you know, sort of style work more, maybe like half marathon, marathon race pace sort of work. Um, So that comes into the specificity and then you have to progress. So, you know, it, in this progression, there's not a, 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 a best rule for it, but I definitely think with running um, it's maybe one to 3% in terms of, the, the training load. So both volume and intensity that you're undertaking. Um, and this could be maybe even every two weeks or so, depending on who you are, where you're at. So does that kind of answer your question? I think, I think the it's, it's the, the three principles that I almost always exclusively look at. And then, um, and then from there, you know, you can start to get a little, a, a little tweaky fancy with it, right. In terms of the specificity. So you say, okay, well, I noticed that maybe my my like I went and I got some physiology testing cuz I was at that point in my in my training where I was like okay it warrants some physiology testing. My VO2 max was actually pretty low and my my second threshold was butted up right against that. Like there there's nothing wrong with that but if your VO2 max is limiting your second threshold then maybe you need to do some VO2 max work to actually bump that up. So again, specificity that's a specificity of physiological adaptation, not a specificity for racing. But I think you know that it it all kind of plays into it.
0: I love it. That was great. Yeah, I I think it very much tracks my training philosophy. Um, you know, I I love your your point of you need to do things that are hard and you need to do things that are easy. And that sounds like super simple, but <laughs> you know the way I think about that and and kind of implement that in in my coaching philosophy is. You know, I think of intensity existing on this spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. You know, on the one side, you have maximum velocity, 100% effort sprints. On the other side, you've got your super easy zone one shuffle. Mm -hmm. I think most runners should spend most of their time on both ends of that spectrum. Let's do strides, hill strides, hill sprints. You know, what Jack Daniels might call an R or repetition workout. Mm -hmm. Very short reps, but very fast. And then we're also doing a lot of easy running, you know, high volume. We're always building that aerobic metabolism. Uh, and then the workouts, you know, can be like those short reps. It can be a lot of threshold work, half marathon pace. And in the middle is where I get the most cautious. This is when you're doing 800 meter, thousand mile repetitions at 5k pace or, or some mm-hmm. VO2 max effort, long reps, At a vo2 max effort and that's where you can get the the really high injury risks that's where you know you'd really just get burned out more from your training Mm -hmm. and so when i see you know for example that study eight weeks of two vo2 max workouts a week i'm like oh man that is either going to leave runners injured burned out or they might have like a week where they can like run a pr and Mm -hmm. you know they're feeling great but then they sort of fizzle out afterward Mm -hmm. and You know, this concept is sort of gets down to, um, I don't know if you've ever read that book, Training for the Uphill Athlete. Mm -hmm. I think it's really fantastic. You should check it out. Okay, Uh, And and they talk about capacity versus utilization. And so this really changed how I think about workouts and and really, you know, if you were to simplify what you get from certain running workouts, um, you know, capacity workouts are basically lactate threshold and slower. Mm -hmm. They're aerobic. They build your capacity for more training. You're getting more mitochondrial development. You're, you're improving your body's ability to both use and shuttle lactate. Um, it's essentially just improving your body's ability to run more and do harder training in the future. Mm-hmm. And then there's utilization workouts, which are like, you know, those VO2 max workouts. And those help you get more efficient with the fitness you already have. Mm-hmm. where the capacity builds your fitness and you need both obviously but i think if we're going to focus on one or the other most of the time we should be focusing on building our capacity and just being a little bit more cautious with a lot of those utilization workouts mm-hmm. so i think ultimately i'm i'm a little bit more of like a developmental coach okay. i like to develop athletes rather than getting super specific all the time. You know, like I have a runners be like, why am I doing a threshold workout? I'm running a a 5k. And like, well, because threshold workouts make you into a better runner. Mm -hmm. That's why we're going to do them. You know, they're improving so many physiological aspects of of your body and your ability. We shouldn't ignore that so that we can only do 5k pace
1: workouts. Right. Right. I I know it's, I like that, that capacity versus utilization. And I, I, as we're speaking, I released a podcast today where, um, the, the guest was talking about, you know, capacity or I, I can't remember, I think he calls it capacity utilization. So like a, a certain percentage of whatever capacity you actually have and how it's, it's different based on, you know, different athletes, for example, elite level athletes, right? Like a, like a, a, a borderline sub two marathoner can run, at their second threshold, at 96% of their second threshold for two hours. Whereas, you know, mere mortals, we might be like an hour or something like that. So he was talking, you know, kind of, I I think to the same sort of idea is that developing your capacity by doing more of that that threshold work, pushing that threshold higher, doing other things like that, you're going to accumulate a lot less fatigue, especially in running. Compared to you know like going out and pounding on the track and doing you know like the traditional uh, you know th- five minutes on five minutes off you know mile repeats and this is what we see um, I I was actually I was fortunate enough I was coached um, a I, I coached an athlete who is in high school right now for cross country or over the summer and then she you know trained with her with her coach the rest of the the fall but she qualified for the Nike Nationals. And one of the things we were really, really worried about, or at least I was worried about was her over racing and over implementation of VO two max training throughout the season. Because what you see is that pretty much at the, at the very beginning of season, what a lot of coaches like to do is like, okay, we're going to start, you know, doing some more VO two max work. And they try to fit in, you know, like two workouts, maybe like a week where it's like VO two max and then a really hard 5k race or something like that. And those would I would both say are probably a little bit more on the utilization um you know side of things. And for her, I was like, okay, well, we only need her to maximize her performance for uh states because we wanted to win states and then the Nike regional and 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 there was one more race like during the season where she wanted to do really really well. So I kind of like, as opposed to saying, oh, you're not racing, you know, we would say, okay, what I want you to do is just beat the girl by one second. Like, you know, so you're not doing a VO two max workout. It is more of that threshold workout. So we can extend that period of time that you're actually building your capacity throughout the season. So then when you get to the end of the season, you're not, you know, so burnt out that you don't want to do it anymore because that's when the most important things are, are happening.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, this this very much reminds me of of my own cross country seasons, both mm-hmm. when I was in high school and in college. Because, you know, I, I I think in hindsight, I had really good coaches and they knew that our teams were pretty good and that we were gonna be in the postseason. And we needed to really save our best performances for November instead of early or mid-September. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of our early season races were like. Okay, uh you've got a 5k. We are going to run the first 2 miles kind of at threshold, you know. Uh in dual meets we would often run with the with the first runner on the other team because we were we were a fairly dominant team. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the 2 mile mark would be like, "All right, buddy, we got to go. We're going to start racing now." And then yeah. we would make the last mile hard or Um, similar things in college during 8k cross country, we might take the first three miles easy and then really race the last two. It was just a way to make the races a little bit easier. I think both physically and psychologically, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and that's probably a, a whole other conversation is like, you can't race to your maximum ability week after week for like three months solid Mm -hmm. it is it is psychologically draining and that's one of the things that good coaches are going to do is they're going to save your your mindset for when it really matters too Mm -hmm. because it's not just about you know not doing vo2 max work too much too soon in the beginning of a season it's also not putting yourself in a position where you need to get as much out of your body as possible in every single race. Cause that is very fatiguing psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, those, those, those early races, but they're also so much fun. It takes all this pressure off of yourself. Yep. I'm not racing this race. I'm sort of just doing it as a workout and i think that saves you
1: physically mentally and it's a lot more fun mhm yeah that's that's actually with with my training and i've been having some good success with this is i i only do one really hard specific workout a week um and that's right now it's i i'm i'm kind of in a vo2 max development phase just because it's it's kind of off season you know other things like that and it is hard to mentally get up for that like it and the day afterwards i definitely noticed my mental you know capacity was a little bit depleted as well and what i what i've told my some of my athletes in the past is like and i i don't know this might come from like steve magnus but um there's there's workouts that are you know controlled and there's races that are controlled and then there's workouts that are go see god
0: yeah, I think that is, might be a Steve Matthew. Yeah, work. yeah,
1: yeah. So I didn't I don't, I don't I'm not stealing it from him, but it's something I love because it's like, okay, I want you seeing the shiny light, you know, coming down trying to like pick you up after this workout. But you only have maybe a handful of those per year, if not less than that. So, you know, so that's why it's important, right, to to really understand your athlete and say, okay, well, when is it appropriate to to push them to that mental limit? Because Again, if you're doing it week in and week out, and then you're not following that up with adequate rest, then it's really, really hard to to maintain that. So I love the fact that you touch on, you know, not only the physical side, but the mental side of things, because um, it, it's something I think we're getting better as a society of talking about is, you know, especially in training or, or like my PhD, for example, was really mentally draining because there was no reprieve it, i i tell people it was like sprinting a marathon for four years um and it was one of those things where you know if you don't get good at taking the easy days easy and the hard days hard then you know you you lose track of that and you're essentially you know if it, it like in and this is an application to work you're essentially working in zone three every single day it's kind of mentally draining it's kind of physically fatiguing but you're never getting enough recovery and then when you go to try to do other things where it's hard you you can't your body your body won't let you get up for it so i think i think that is something that is a it, it this is why i love sport and i love you know like endurance training and stuff because there's so many connections to real world and how you go about you know approaching your day or uh, approaching different tasks within your day because if you're learning correctly how to implement endurance training you can then take it and you can apply it to your life and you actually have much better outcomes. I've ever since my PhD got over, I've been really, really trying to be like, okay, if I'm going to have, you know, like marathon recording days for podcasts and stuff, I have to follow that up with days of, of, of less stress in terms of, you know, like, like wanting to impress people on the podcast, making sure you're prep for the podcast, other things like that. So, um, yeah. What are
0: your thoughts on, on that? <laughs> I think you're 100% right. And if I wasn't a runner, I don't think I would be as successful in other areas of my life because Mm -hmm. it taught me, yeah, that value of, you know, hard, easy days. Mm -hmm. If you have a hard day, you're going to need an easy day the next day. And that's true professionally as it is athletically. And and you're absolutely right. If I have a day where you know I'm going to batch record a couple videos and go on a podcast, and I'm putting the finishing touches on um, you know a, a monthly column for Trail Runner Magazine, and I've got two coaching calls, I might need to go for a long trail run the next day mm-hmm. and clear my head because mm-hmm. that that's just been a, a really difficult day for me. And um, you know I, I think the 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 number of people who have come from sport. And use their lessons to, you know, go coach executives at fortune 500 companies is just very indicative of the fact that if you get good at a sport, you are learning lessons that are then applicable to almost every area of your life. And it was funny when you were talking about getting your PhD and and making sure that every day wasn't super hard and giving yourself rest days because I'm like are you describing parenting right now because it sounds <laughs> the same.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. And and that's that that is something that I am just trying to learn and teach myself is like and it's really hard for I mean you can you can speak to as an entrepreneur as well, right? You're always there's always a list that is longer than what you actually can do in a given day. So you have to learn how to prioritize, you have to learn how to, um, you know, choose what is going to move the needle forward as much as possible while also allowing me to maintain my sanity. And that's like, I do a hybrid of things now where it's like I train every day, but you know, sometimes it's easier. For example, today, it was like, I got on the bike and it was laughably easy. Like I had, you know, I had a conversation like this with my fiance and you know, it was, it's great because it got the blood moving. I was able to enjoy it. I had coming off of a couple hard days. Um, and you know, but I also knew that I was going, you know, I, I wanted to perform well for like the, the two podcast episodes that I was going to be recording too. So, um, yeah, it's, it is amazing all the parallels and, it's really cool. So I I, I want to switch gears just a second because your the name of your company is Strength Running, and we have not talked about strength training other than the one video that I that I talked about watching. So with the with the last little bit of time, how how do you approach strength training, and has has that changed based on research that has come out saying, oh well, maybe heavy lifting, plyometrics, other things like that, is more beneficial for you know, performance variable changes?
0: Yeah, my thoughts on strength training have certainly evolved substantially, even from, you know, 10 years ago. I used to think that runners didn't need to do any strength training, especially for their legs, because, hey, we're exercising our legs mm-hmm. every day when we go running. But that is the silliest perspective to have. <laughs> I think the science is pretty clear that weightlifting is very beneficial for endurance runners. hmm I would say that when I first started strength running in 2010, I was much more focused on body weight, strength routines, and and really pulling from the world of physical therapy mm-hmm. to do a lot of that work as prehab. So early on, my philosophy was, let's do a ton of this body weight strength work as prehab so mm-hmm. that we can stay healthy. Again, we want to drive that consistency as, as as much as we can. And layering on that kind of strength work onto an already well designed running program is probably one of the best ways that you can stay healthy. You know, like number one, let's get your training right. And then number two, let's start strength training. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say maybe five or six years ago, I really started recognizing the power of heavier weightlifting, plyometrics, more power based movements. And, and this really, you know, I was just reading more about forces and like force development. And and if you want to be fast, you need to be able to impart a lot of force into the ground. Mm -hmm. And so what does that actually mean? That's really a function of power and power is really strength times speed. And if you don't have strength, you, you know, you you can't really do much with your speed. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to get hurt. So now I very much have a strength training philosophy that is a bit of a hybrid of both. Like we are going to get in the gym, we are going to do some heavier weightlifting. We are going to add in plyometrics in a very methodical way. Mm -hmm. You know, as someone who likes plyometrics and recognizes that they can be really good at at getting you to use your body more uh, economically, I also recognize that the injury risk with plyos is much higher than, say, your, you know, easy zone two running. So we've Mm -hmm. got to be kind of careful with that. Um, But the heavier weightlifting is something that uh, is, I think while at the same time it's extraordinarily beneficial for runners, it's also not something that we have to do super regularly. I think you know, modeling our strength training in the gym after what bodybuilders build- do is, is, is not the right approach. You know, We really can get most of the benefits of weightlifting with two sessions a week. Uh, I, I think two sessions a week is plenty, especially if you're training for a race. You're not really going to be able to do three hard weightlifting workouts a week. That's mm-hmm. probably going to cut into your ability to run and train well from a running perspective um, but twice a week 45 60 minutes of focus on the fundamentals you know I love exercises like squats and deadlifts and mm-hmm. you know presses uh, and, and of course the, all those exercises have a lot of variations among them mm-hmm. um, So if you're getting in the gym twice a week what I like to see the other days of the week let's let's just say you run seven days a week twice a week you're going to be doing, weightlifting in the gym. The other five days a week, I, I want to see you sandwich your runs in between a dynamic warm up and a tw- 10 to 20 minute body weight strength routine. It doesn't have to be very hard. Uh, you're probably just doing body weight exercises. Maybe you're using something like an exercise band, maybe an exercise, um, uh, a medicine ball, but you're otherwise not doing very challenging strength workouts. Those are reserved for the gym. Those Mm -hmm. are sort of like your speed workouts for the week, your harder workouts. But your zone two for strength Mm -hmm. is these body weight workouts. Yeah, and you know this is where we're pulling from the world of physical therapy just to do a lot of things that, you know, if you've ever been to a PT's office, you're probably very familiar with doing a lot of lateral leg raises and clamshells and glute bridges, single leg glute bridges, side planks. (laughs) A lot of these exercises, you know, you know. You can read studies that say, you know, if you want strong abs, you should squat because the ab activation is so much higher in a heavy squat. Mm -hmm. And and then again, I kind of put on my coach's hat and I'm like, yes, that's true, but we're going to do both because we can't squat heavy every single day. Right. And I think some of the postural benefits that we get from a lot of the body weight exercises, um, because some of them are like isometric exercises. You're, You're really just holding a position And a lot of the times when we're running, we're holding certain Mm -hmm. positions, like when we're in the stance phase of the gait cycle, we need to be able to hold that position at speed while our body is undergoing all these different forces, rotational forces. We really need to make sure, you know, I'll borrow a phrase from a prior podcast guest. We need to be able to steer our ship. Mm -hmm. If we are accurately steering our ship, despite all these forces, we're doing a good job. And that does require a lot of strength. So that's basically my strength training philosophy in a nutshell. Let's lift heavy weights twice a week. Let's sandwich our runs. We got a dynamic warm up. That's really not strength training, although some strength exercises are included. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to do about a fifteen minute body weight strength workout after each one of our runs. You know, not only is that going to improve our strength, but it also acts as a nice cool down mm-hmm. after running, and it's just a lot easier than going from, you know, say workout to sitting in your office desk chair. I think anyone who's done that has gotten up after an hour and realized that their body just feels terrible. Mm -hmm. They're nice and tight and, and, you know, their, their legs feel super heavy. So the strength workouts give us a lot more than simply strength. Mm
1: -hmm. I 100% agree. And going back to that, you know, easy and hard, and you have to do both that's exactly what it is. Right. And Um, no, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything else about it because I think you did a perfect job of summing that up. Um, I will, if, do you have any, I'm sure you have a bunch of YouTube videos on it. Do you have any YouTube videos that could give listeners who are interested, you know, maybe a, a basic, you know, strength training sort of guide. And then, uh, the, like a, a prehab sort of thing I can, I can link, I think I have the same video. Um, but if we had those two for people, I think that would be really valuable. And I'll just put those in the show notes, uh, down below for anyone who's interested. Um, yeah, I'll put together some, some resources for you. Cause I certainly
0: awesome. have both videos and more in-depth articles that might provide a little bit extra context and flavor around how to think about your strength training as an endurance runner. Cause I think, you know, there, there's so many aspects to it that we have not even gone over, you know, I like know. running economy, like, you know, there's the whole longevity aspect of it. Um, you know, uh, last month I turned 40 and I need to be strength training more regularly now that I'm a master's runner, because as soon as guys hit 40, their muscle loss really starts to accelerate. So yeah. there's a lot of things that we need to think about as runners, particularly aging runners, um, and yeah, let me, let me send you some good resources for that.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I, I would appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners would appreciate it too. Uh, I will, this is Jason, this has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and, uh, um, I, I appreciate your support because, uh, you know, I, I'm a little podcast. You're, you're a, a big podcast with a big following and everything like that. And you've allowed me to come onto your platform and you've came onto this platform as well. So I, I really, really appreciate it. And I'm hoping that you know this is a this is a start of a, a, a long working relationship that we can have because uh, you you share a lot of amazing information and I hope that with my physiology background I can kind of fill in some of the you know maybe the gaps where people are like oh well I want to know more of the why um, so so I, I really appreciate it thank you so much for coming on
0: oh thanks Phil it was super fun conversation and, and likewise I mean I think. One of the things that I love because I'm such a running nerd is that I just love surrounding myself with all the people that might be sitting around a table, helping the best runner in the world optimize their training. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got your exercise physiologist and your strength coach and your sports psychologist and physical therapist and all these people who are advising the athlete on how to maximize their potential. Mm -hmm. I just love being around those kinds of people and having those conversations. And you just do such an amazing job of making some of these physiological, uh, physiology concepts digestible for the average runner. Because look, I'm, I'm not running a physiology lab over mm-hmm. here. I am coaching runners. I am communicating and educating runners on different topics. So I certainly rely on folks like you to fill in those gaps, like you said and and help me with the science so that I can map it onto the, the day-to-day training mm-hmm. that my runners are doing. So thanks yeah. for what you do. And uh, yeah, I hope folks have, have enjoyed
1: this conversation. yeah, no, I'm sure I'm sure they will. if If you guys have any questions, uh, if you're on YouTube, leave a comment down below. And, uh, we can actually tag, tag Jason cause he has his own YouTube channel. So if it is directed at him, uh, what's your YouTube channel name? Actually, uh, I think it's just strength running. Yep. So, so do, do an at strength running. I'll put, again, I'll put that in the show notes and then you can find, uh, Jason on Instagram, probably any other social media at, uh, it's Jason Fitzgerald, but I think most of them are at strength running.
0: Yeah. So actually my Twitter and Instagram are Jason fits one. Okay. And then, you know, the podcast is the strength running podcast. I think strengthrunning.com. and then the YouTube channel is just strength running.
1: Awesome. Yeah. I'll, I'll have that all sorted out for the, for the show notes as well.
0: And that's our show. Thank you for listening. If you're a fan of my work here on the podcast and this conversation, please consider leaving a review or supporting our sponsors use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running Podcast, and tell them they should continue supporting the show. First, hook yourself up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Element, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. And this does not have to be your first purchase. You're gonna get a sample pack with every flavor so you can try them all before deciding what you like best. If you're not familiar, Element is my favorite way to hydrate. They make electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. I'm now in the habit of giving away boxes of Element at group runs around Denver and Boulder, and everyone loves this stuff. It can also be a really helpful way to prevent dehydration when you're running long or running hard. If you sometimes feel overly tired, or you get headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness, especially after long runs or workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Element. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions. Plus, Element is my go-to morning beverage if I've frequented one of Denver's many breweries the night before, and I want my morning to feel a little smoother. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get your free sample pack with your first purchase, and you'll get your hydration optimized for the upcoming season. Finally, get yourself 15% off your first purchase at prevenex.com with code Jason15. Prevenex is a unique supplement company that holds itself to standards that the rest of the industry doesn't. This is why I've partnered with them. And they are celebrating the release of Muscle Health Plus this week, which is a unique combination of amino acids, creatine, and ingredients that aid protein synthesis and absorption of those amino acids. This is your anti-soreness supplement. It'll help you prevent muscle damage, which is particularly important for aging runners who want to protect themselves from muscle loss and recover faster after hard workouts. Now, as is true for all of their products, Prevenex adheres to the highest of standards. Their ingredients are clinically proven to do what they say they're going to do. So yes, Muscle Health Plus has ingredients that are clinically proven to improve protein synthesis and the absorption of amino acids, critical for helping promote lean muscle mass, strength, recovery, and better body composition. I've been consistently impressed with all of their supplements and how committed they are to transparent, clinically proven ingredients. From Joint Health Plus to Nurify Immune Support, and now Muscle Health Plus, Prevenex has you covered no matter your needs. Get 15% off your first Prevenex purchase by using code Jason15 at checkout. Visit prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. And just remember, they offer a 30-day money-back guarantee where if you don't feel the benefits on their products you get your money back. No questions asked. That's the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being part of this community. And thank you for being so passionate about this sport. Until next time.